One. The condo was cramped, but at least it was in a good area of McLean, Virginia. If you stood in just the right spot and stretched your neck way to the left, you could catch a glimpse of the Potomac through the kitchen window. And it was an easy commute to CIA headquarters. That was why Katie had bought it. It was bright, clean and sparsely, yet tastefully decorated. Fortunately, my new bride wasn't the fairy princess type, so there wasn't pink frilly crap all over the place. But if she had been, I'd have found a way to live with it. Dumping my heavy duffel bag on the floor near the stairs that led to the master bedroom, I stood there for a moment, looking around, taking the place in. This was the first time I'd ever set foot in Katie's home, so I had to ask where the bathroom was. She pointed me up the stairs and went back to sorting through a thick stack of mail. It had been over a month since she'd been home, and the air was stale and musty. After availing myself of the facilities, I opened a set of French doors that led from the master bedroom onto a small balcony overlooking the parking lot. We had just gotten back to Washington after a whirlwind vacation that culminated in a stop in Vegas. The ceremony had been memorable because the guy that officiated our wedding had been wearing a blue leisure suit straight out of 1975. He also had coal black hair, greased into a perfect ducktail that would have been the envy of every male in the 1950s. After he pronounced us man and wife, I half expected him to say, thank you very much, in an impersonation of Elvis. But he didn't. Katie and I hadn't met that long ago. Just a few weeks, actually. It had been in a shithole Central American jungle. She was in the country at the behest of her employer, the Central Intelligence Agency, and things hadn't gone well. Somehow, a rebel commander who bore striking resemblance to the Frito Bandito had found out who she was and taken her prisoner. He was working with a group of Russian military advisors who were camped out deep in the jungle and had decided to deliver the pretty young CIA agent to them as a gift. That was where I came in. My name is John Chase, and I'm a member of the U.S. Army's Delta Force. My unit had been inserted into the very same patch of jungle with orders to eliminate that very same rebel commander since the Russians had arrived, providing arms and training to his ragtag followers. The local government had been getting a bloody nose on a fairly regular basis. Mr. Bandito was well on his way to becoming a folk hero to the majority of the country's population, who were tired of living in stark poverty. Can't say I blame them for wanting a change, but inviting the Russians in is a little like hosting an open bar at a wedding reception. May sound good when you're planning it, but it's going to cost you more than you ever imagined in the end. Not that the U.S. has a dramatically better track record, but my job wasn't to make policy. It was to carry out the orders of whatever politician happened to be in charge. So El Presidente, growing concerned over the recent success of the rebels, expressed his fears to the local CIA station chief. He pointed out that if the rebels toppled him, the Russians would gain a foothold in America's backyard. The station chief did his job and got on the phone with Langley, who went running to the White House. POTUS lit a fire under the ass of the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, who fired off a very unambiguous order from his office in the E-ring of the Pentagon. Shit kept rolling downhill until my unit was tasked with solving the problem. Permanently. That's how I wound up hiding in a jungle in Central America, watching the most beautiful woman I'd ever seen as she was escorted into the Russian commander's tent. Long story short, I'd completed my mission, rescued the girl, and flown off into the sunset. Well, actually it was a sunrise, but sunset sounds so much more poetic. 
It had been love at first sight, at least for me. We had been thoroughly debriefed on the aircraft carrier we were extracted to, then flown to Washington, where Katie disappeared to a CIA safe house for several days of an intense mission post-mortem. I went through the same thing with Army intelligence. Yes, I know that's an oxymoron. A stone-faced CIA officer sitting in on the whole thing. When it was all over, I pulled the CIA guy aside. Handing him a slip of paper with my phone number written on it, I asked him to give it to Katie. I didn't really expect to ever hear from or see her again, but six hours later, my phone rang. I had some leave coming. As it turned out, so did she. It took several conversations over the phone and more than a few drinks in a bar in Georgetown, but eventually I talked her into heading out on a road trip with me. From that point, things moved fast, whirlwind fast, and I was still trying to wrap my head around the fact that I was married. Going back down the stairs, I stepped over my duffel bag, which probably weighed more than my wife, and walked into the kitchen. She was finishing with her mail, junk sorted from stuff she actually needed or wanted. The toss pile was about ten times thicker. Sweeping it into the garbage, she placed the rest on a small desk and wrapped her arms around my neck, pressing her body tightly against me. Welcome home. She smiled and started to step back when the kiss ended. But she had awakened the beast, and I pulled her back against my chest. Soon our clothing started coming off, and we stumbled towards the living room, collapsing onto the couch. Her panties came off with a tearing sound, and I was happy she wasn't concerned over a pair of underwear being ruined by her brute of a husband. Just before things really got interesting, the doorbell rang. A moment later, there was a loud pounding on the window next to it. I looked over the back of the couch to see the grinning face of Mike Anderson, known as Spider, one of my teammates. I had completely forgotten that I'd given him the address. He was here to pick me up so we could report to the Pentagon for some unknown reason. I had already learned that Katie was far from being a prude, but that didn't mean she was an exhibitionist. With a smile of regret, she had grabbed a lightweight blanket from the couch and covered herself. Grabbing up her scattered clothes, she made a dash for the stairs. Unaccustomed to anything being in the way, she wasn't paying attention and ran directly into my duffel. It didn't budge, and I heard a snap as one of her toes broke. She fell backward into the chair, holding her foot up in the air and let loose with a stream of curses that damn near made me blush. The doorbell rang again, and I shouted at Spider to hold his water. Katie had broken the long toe next to the big one on her right foot, and it was at a severe angle. Tears wet her eyes from the pain, and as I bent for a closer look, I expected to be torn to ribbons for having left my bag on the floor. But she didn't say a word about it, just asked if I'd pop it back straight. Apologizing profusely for having caused her injury, I did as she asked and set the broken digit as best I could. It didn't go straight, remaining at a very noticeable bend, but it must have eased the pain. As soon as I adjusted it, she leaned back and breathed a sigh of relief. Despite my best efforts, she refused to go to the emergency room and get it treated properly. She explained that if she went to the ER, her name would get entered into their computers. About a minute later, an alert would pop up at CIA that one of their employees was at a hospital seeking medical attention. There was a valid concern that, while under any form of sedation, a person might inadvertently reveal classified information. So a minute after that, an agency officer would be dispatched to the hospital to ensure that national security wasn't compromised. Then there would be about an inch of paperwork. Katie wasn't going to deal with all of that for a broken toe. Wrapping the blanket tightly around her breasts, she stood and kissed me before limping up the stairs. 
I watched her all the way up, enjoying the way the blanket parted around her hips with each step. Stopping at the top, she told me to hurry the hell up at the Pentagon so we could pick up where we left off. With a spring in my step, I walked over and opened the front door to let Spider in. Dude, really? He said when he saw me. I looked down, realizing I was naked as a jaybird. I've been in the Army a long time, and one of the first things to go during basic training is modesty. You're in an open barrack with about 50 other guys. You shit, shower, and change clothes with absolutely no privacy. It's a shock to the system at first, but you get used to it in a hurry and eventually don't even notice. But we weren't in the barracks. I'd just been more than a little distracted. Jealous? I asked, bending to collect my clothes off the floor. Spider is a large black man, and when I say large, I'm not just talking about a stature. Of that? Jesus Christ. How the hell does a woman ever know when you're in? He shot back, pointing at my dick. I threw my underwear at him, but he ducked, and they sailed over his shoulder and wound up draped over a framed photo of Katie's mother. House rule number one, no underwear on my mother's picture. We looked up to see Katie standing at the top of the stairs, a robe cinched tightly around her narrow waist. Spider snatched my briefs off the frame and hid them behind his back. Yes, that's what teammates do for each other. Ma'am, he said to Katie. Ma'am? She looked at me. Did you tell him? Tell me what? Spider looked at me. We got married, I said, unable to keep myself from grinning like an idiot. He grinned back, a moment later my underwear rocking out of his hand and hitting me squarely in the face.